welcome to the Access Church Podcast. We're going to get into the, the Word of uh, God this, this afternoon. And last week we, we started a, a, um, a sermon, a two-part sermon. I don't know, maybe we'll go three, but for right now it's just two. We'll see what God has for uh, next week. But we were talking about the principles for prosperity, and, and this is based on our sermon series about, about the blessing of God and how it's God's desire for you to be blessed. He wants you blessed. He wants you to live the most amazing, blessed life. Now, most believers today do not truly understand what it means to be blessed or what it means to to have the blessing of God on your life. And oftentimes, because we do live in a very materialistic, uh, consumer-driven society, we often want to relegate the blessing of God to stuff or or to things. But the blessing of God, well, the blessing of God can attract stuff and can attract things. The blessing of God is, is, is so much more than just money. The blessing of God is so much more than having a nice house or having a nice car. And don't get me wrong, there's nothing wrong with that. But the blessing of the Lord on our life transcends any type of material possession you could ever have. Now, last week we talked about what the blessing is and how the blessing is is a mantle. It is a cloak. It is a covering that you wear as a child of God. And this mantle, you know, some would describe it as luck, but this mantle doesn't make you lucky. This mantle that you carry gives you the power to prosper. It gives you the power to prosper. That means that wherever you go, it doesn't matter where they try to typecast you, where they try to isolate you, where they try to hide you. When you have the blessing of the Lord on your life, you're always going to rise to the top. It it just happens. And and, and there are are, are, um, cases after cases within scripture where we see the blessing of God effectuating that that level of favor, that level of grace, that level of prosperity. So the blessing of God is not stuff. Remember we said that the blessing of God always comes in either seed or strategy. Either seed or strategy. Now the, the problem with us is we have to be able to discern what to do with the seed and what to do with the the strategy. So last week I gave you my definition of the blessing. I'm going to give that to you again. Now the blessing of God is the supernatural grace and favor of God overlaid onto our ability to produce supernatural results or glory. The supernatural grace and favor of God overlaid onto our ability to produce supernatural results of glory. So that means that the blessing of God can only be as effective 
of that which we surrender to him. Remember we said that the blessing of God will submit and surrender, uh, will, will rest upon any area of your life that you submit or surrender. So if you're holding things back from God, if you're holding areas in your, your, your life away from God, then God can't bless those areas. It's not until you offer to him in, in, in that level of worship that we talked about that, that Abraham offered Isaac as not as a sacrifice, but as an offering of worship, it is there where God is going to bless you. But God's favor and grace will always be overlaid onto your ability. It will always be laid. So we have to do our part. The book of James tells us that faith without works is dead. So you can stand and believe, but unless you act on your faith, unless you act on it and you invest in yourself and you invest in your life, then, then God's blessing can only be as effective as what you offer and you surrender to him. So a few weeks ago, we talked about um, the, the original blessing over, over Abraham when God entered into that covenant of blessing with Abraham. And that was the moment where the blessing of God effectuated after it was disrupted. But today, I want to go back to original intent. I want to go back to the very beginning. Now, oftentimes, in order to get a, a better understanding of the primary purpose or intention of something, it's always good to go back to its origin. And so when we look at the beginning of creation, we looked at after everything that God created, God created man and God created woman, and, and he put them in a, a, a magical place. He put them in a, a place of blessing. The Bible says that Adam and Eve, after he formed them, he placed them in, in a place called the Garden of Eden. Now, when you look at at the word garden and Eden. Remember, those of you that come on Thursdays know that God is always talking to us. Every detail in the Bible, there is so much wealth and so much richness of revelation that God leaves no detail unturned and he's always communicating. And so when we look at, at the word garden, that word garden in the Hebrew language, in the original language, means a covering, a sanctuary, and it means life. A garden is life. You know, the difference between a plot of land and a garden is that a garden produces life. There is, there is, it is prosperous. It is, it is fruitful. And so when we look at garden, it's covering sanctuary or life. And then when we look at the name Eden, Eden comes from five letters in the Hebrew alphabet, which mean pleasure, delight, or abundance, pleasure, delight, or abundance. Isn't that exactly what we talked about last week, that the blessing of God is this mantle that you carry that is a, a covering, it is a protection, but it is also the power for you to be blessed and prosperous. So we can see that from the very beginning, it was always God's intention for man to live an abundant life. Now, what's the difference between abundance and provision? Provision is just enough. 
provision is just enough. There was a season where the Israelites had come out of Egypt and they were walking in the desert and wandering in the desert for 40 years on this track to get to the promised land, to a place that would be a, a life of abundance. The Bible puts it this way, that this land would flow with milk and honey. But they went through a season of provision. Provision is just enough. And the Bible says that every day that the, it would rain manna from heaven and manna is this this substance we don't exactly know what it is in fact the word manna means what is this so they had no idea what they were eating but God would provide for them but God said you can't store it you can't you 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 can't hoard it you have to have it today and that is a a biblical picture and pattern of God's provision now God's provision comes to us by our position God's provision comes to us by our provision. He is God the Father. The word Father means source. It means sustainer. It means provider. But to many Christians live on the level of provision, but God doesn't want you to live with just enough. How many of you want your children to just, just have enough? Isn't it your heart's desire to see your children blessed? Isn't it your heart's desire to see them blessed and prosperous in every area of their life, in their family, their marriages, in their, in their school, in their career, in everything they set out to do? Well, imagine God the Father being all of the essence of love and all of the essence of good. God doesn't want you to stay at just enough. See, whether your kids behave or not, you provide for them. You give them a place to live. You give them food to eat. You give them clothes to wear. There was a time back in pre-K that I almost sent Malachi and just his us to school. I wanted to. Because we had a, we, we didn't have a very good morning. I was like, okay, boy, I'm going to take you to school. You want to be like that? I'm going to take you in your children's. Because he started stripping in the car because he was mad he didn't want to go to school. I said, okay, I'll take, you, I'll, I'll, take, I'll take you to school like that. Obviously, I couldn't. I would have gotten in trouble. But I wanted to. But it doesn't matter how upset or how angry or how frustrated I might be with my son as his source, as his sustainer, as his provider, whether he obeys me or not, I am going to protect him. I am going to provide for him. I'm going to give him a place to live. I'm going to give him the food that he needs. I'm going to give him a, a place to lay his head. I will do that. But if he wants anything else above that, then what does he have to do? He has to walk in favor with the Father. And see, the problem is that many of us believers, we are living on the level of provision, and God doesn't want you just to live on the level of provision. We see from the very beginning, the Bible says that Adam and Eve had everything they could ever want. They had the perfect environment, the perfect climate. They didn't have to get up and go to work. They had everything that they need. And that is a picture and a pattern of where God wanted us to live and where God wants us to be even today. In fact, when we look at the end of the story, isn't it amazing how the end of the story looks a lot like the beginning of the story? 
the Bible says that when we live in that realm that we call heaven, that we're not going to hunger, we're not going to thirst, we're not going to be sad, we're not going to be sick. We're going to go back to where God wants us to be. But I got news for you. You don't have to wait to get to heaven. You can begin to walk in that level of abundance today. Do you want to walk in that level of abundance? Are, are you sure? So we see this from the beginning. So abundance is, is more than enough. Provision is just enough. But in order to, to uh, uh, effectuate that level of abundance and that level of blessing in your life for you to prosper, there are principles that you have to walk in. Just like if Malachi wants anything more than the level of provision, he has to walk in favor with the Father. And if you and I want to access that level of abundance and that level of blessing and that level of, of, of prosperity, then you and I, we have to also walk in favor with the Father. And so we can see that from the very beginning, it was always God's intention for man to live an abundant life. God wants you blessed. Now, I'm not teaching some sort of blab it, grab it, name it, claim it, prosperity gospel. That's not what I'm teaching. What I am teaching you is the gospel of the kingdom. This is a gospel of identity. So God placed Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden, but then sin came in the picture disrupted the flow, disrupted that connection. They were expelled from the garden. And from that moment, God had to put his plan to restore us back to our original factory settings. In fact, when we look at the reason Jesus came, see, a lot of people say, well, Jesus came to die on the cross. No, that is the method but that was not his purpose. His purpose was to, to restore. How do I know this? Let's look at, at his words, Luke 19.10. It says, For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. Now, all your life, I know you heard that the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. But the Bible doesn't say that he came to seek and to save the lost. It says he came to seek and to save that which was lost. So when we want to know what was lost, let's go back to Adam and Eve. When sin came into the picture, what did they lose? Did they lose a church? Did they lose a religion? No. They lost their position. They lost their place in that Garden of, of Eden. They lost their connection. There was a flow that was cut off. And here Jesus, in his very own words, is telling us, I came to save and to seek that which was lost. That word, seek and save in the original language means to rescue and restore. So what Jesus is telling us, this is the, the thesis statement for his ministry. He said, I came to rescue and restore what Adam and Eve lost. Now the problem with us is that we think that happens in heaven. But no, we don't have to wait to get to heaven. We can begin to walk in this level of favor and blessing right now. Do you want to do that? In fact, let's look at Jesus' words. What did Jesus say? Remember we said from the very beginning, God wants man to live an abundant life. What is abundant? Abundant means more than enough. Now, now quit thinking on just a material or financial realm. 
Because, well, God doesn't want us all rich. Well, we already talked about that. Yes, we know that. But the wealth and the abundance of God over your life is more than just finances. In fact, I had an amazing conversation with, with uh, Robert on the way back from Del Rio. We were talking about, about these wealthy families and these wealthy ranchers that, that, that they have all of the wealth and all of the, the resources, you know, to buy whatever they want, to go wherever they want, but their family is messed up. And I thought, you know what? Isn't that a shame that they have all of that? And I guarantee they would give it all up to have their family healthy and whole. One of them was talking about how his, he has a son that, that, that is sick and there's no cure. I guarantee you that man would give everything up to have his son healthy and whole again. Don't you think so? So we're not just talking about this. But let's look at what Jesus says in John 10.10. 10. He says, the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. But I came so that you would have life and have it. Well, there it is. What does abundance mean? More than enough. More than enough hope. More than enough joy. More than enough peace. More than enough good. More than enough strength. How many of you want to walk in that level of abundance? So we've got to understand the principles of the kingdom. The Bible calls them the laws of the kingdom. Now, what is a law? A law and a principle is something that cannot change. Like the law of gravity. If I throw myself down from here, I know you think, Pastor, you've lost the weight. You're probably going to float. I'll probably drop down like a feather. But that's not going to happen. I'm going to fall like a ton of bricks. Because that's the law of gravity. It, it doesn't change. Well, these are the laws of the kingdom. It doesn't matter if you agree. I could stand here and all day and close my eyes and, and in my head say, I do not believe in the law of gravity. I do not believe in the law of gravity and throw myself off of the top of this building. Guess what? It doesn't matter whether I believe it or not. The law of gravity will always be true. Even if I choose not to believe it. And there's a lot of people that come to church. Well, I don't choose to believe that. Well, that's fine. Whether you choose to believe it or not, does it mean that it won't always be true? Why? Because it's a law. So let's talk about the principles of prosperity. Principle number one is obedience. Obedience. Now, our obedience is what activates or unlocks the blessing in our life. Obedience starts with submission and with surrender. That's where it starts. That's where, that's where we, we begin to take those baby steps. It is elementary. We start, remember we talked about it last week, obedience, sacrifice, and worship. Obedience is the beginning, but that's where it starts. So the principles of God are the keys that unlock and unleash the blessing over our lives. In fact, the Bible says in Deuteronomy 28, 1 and 2, look at what it says. If you fully obey the Lord your God and carefully follow all his commands I give you today, the Lord your God will set you high above all the nations on the earth and all these blessings will come on you and accompany you if you obey the Lord your God. Now, read, go back and read the whole chapter of Deuteronomy 28 because it gives you a list. Now, let me tell you that list is not comprehensive. It's just categorical. Like it gives you a categories of blessing. There are so many levels to blessing that God wants to bring in your life. But where does it start? He says, if you fully obey the Lord. Now, what is obedience? Let me define it for you. Obedience is doing what God says, how he says, and when he says, 
Obedience is doing what God says, how he says, and when he says. And this is so important for God because, because God is always about timing. It's not just doing what God says. See, there's a lot of people that will do what God says, but they don't want to do how he says it or they want to do it when he says it. They want to do it when it's comfortable and convenient for them. Let's, let, let me give you an example. If I tell Malachi, Malachi, when you get home from school, I want you to clean up your room. I want you to pick up all your toys and put them in the toy box. And I get home late and I come home and his toys are not in the toy box. But he's already asleep, so I'll have to, give him, I'll have to lay hands on him tomorrow in a very spiritual way. But let's say the next day he comes home from school. He's like, oh, man, I forgot. My dad told me to put that. So I better do this before my dad gets home. And guess what? When I get home, he puts all his toys away. Did he obey me? Yes or no? No. Why? He did what I said, but he didn't do it when I said it. See, obedience to God is doing what he said, how he said, and when he said it. That's why the Bible makes it very clear that God loves a cheerful giver. See, God will always measure the intention of your heart. To God, it matters why you do it more than if you do it. That's what matters to God. And so when we understand it is obedience that brings the blessing, you've got to understand that the magnitude of your obedience will always determine the magnitude of your blessing. Very little obedience equates to very little blessing. But if you want big obedience or big blessing, you have to obey big. See, we have to understand that we must do things God's way. And I hear it all the time. Pastor, I've got my own relationship with God. I hear it all the time. Pastor, God knows me. God, I'm a good person and I try to do good. And, I, I, and, and you know what? My, my, my very pastoral smart aleck response is like, God is not Burger King. Why? Because Burger King said you can have it your way. The kingdom of God is not Burger King. It's not, you can't come and, 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 and pick a la carte. Well, I'll take, a, I'll take a little bit of fasting. No, not fasting. Maybe just once a year. Whenever pastor says we all have to fast. Okay, I'll do that. And then a little bit of prayer. You know, that whole tithing thing in First Fruits. No, but, you know, I don't mind giving a dollar, you know, like every once in a while. Just give that to God. You know, just God. You can't come to God and pick and choose what you want to believe and what you want to follow. How many of you know that 99.9% obedience is still disobedience. That's the bottom. So we can't pick and choose. And so if you really want to walk in the level of prosperity that we saw with Abraham, with Isaac, with Jacob, the same level of prosperity that we saw with David, with Solomon, then you have to understand that God requires your obedience. And one of the first principles of obedience is that means that God has to be first in your life. And that takes us to number two, put God first. In 16 times in the book of Deuteronomy, God tells those who will obey him that he will bless everything they put their hands to do. But it always comes with this caveat 
that God has to be first. And we have to understand that the first always belongs to God. We must give God the first of our time. We must give God the first of our talents. We must give God the first of our gifts and our finances. If we are going to receive all that God has for us, we have to put God first in every area of our lives. And in fact, that's what tithing and first fruits actually is. It is giving God our first. Now, now many people believe that well, pastors shouldn't talk about money. We shouldn't teach or talk about money because that's all pastors want. They want money. Do you realize that there are more than 500 verses on prayer? In the how many of y'all believe that prayer is important? Yes, prayer. I mean, that's fundamental to our faith. You know, we, we have to pray. Did you? That's a, lot, that's a lot of verses. How many of you believe faith is important? Of course, the Bible says without faith, it's impossible to please God. So faith is important. There are approximately 500 verses in the Bible that teach us about faith. But did you know that there are over 2,000 verses regarding money, finances, or possessions in the Bible? But yeah, pastor, you shouldn't teach about that. I'm thinking, well, Jesus did. Do you know that 16 of the 38 parables that Jesus taught and two-thirds of his ministry here on the earth, he wasn't teaching people how to get to heaven. He was teaching people how to obey and put God first in the area of their finances. Most, most of you wouldn't gone to the church where Jesus was the pastor. So... I'm not the sharpest knife in the drawer, but I'm not the dullest, okay. But I remember in school, my teacher would say, if I repeat it, write it down because you're going to see it on the test. It's probably very important. So don't you think money and finances are important to God? If Jesus himself spent two-thirds of his ministry here on the earth, he only had three and a half years. Imagine, that's not, that, that's not a long time. Three and a half years on the earth physically to teach everything he had to teach. And two-thirds of that time, he spent speaking about finances, stewardship, generosity, money, or possession. I mean, that tells me that money and finances are important to God. Now, there's a reason why most marriages end in divorce due to finances. It's because we don't understand the biblical concept of finances. So principle number one is obedience. Principle number two is you have to put God first. And that's what tithing is. Tithing is putting God first. In fact, let's look at Exodus 23, 19. It says, the first of the first fruits of your land you shall bring into the house of the Lord your God. So let me just put this out there. God doesn't need your money. I do, but God doesn't. Just be real, keeping it 100. I mean, I, I can't call Stream Energy and say, well, you know, we're, we're praying that some way God will provide, so just believe with us. I can't call the landlord and say, well, God will bless you. She expects that $5,000 check every month, and praise God, since we started the church, we've never defaulted on one rent payment. There was one time that we showed up on the Rio Boulevard and we didn't have electricity. 
What's the first thing you do when you, you get home, there's no electricity? Well, you walk out to see if the neighbors don't have it first. <laughs> but the second thought is like, did I pay the bill? So as a pastor, can you imagine? I was like, man, did I pay the bill? But yes, I have an automatic, the, the, my automatic payment. And sure enough, we called. No, we have an outage in the area. Okay, phew. But that was the only time. But God doesn't need your money. But how many of you know that your money needs God? Psalm 24, 1 says, The earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all its people belong to him. Haggai 2, 8, The silver is mine and the gold is mine, declares the Lord Almighty. God doesn't need your money. Then why is money so important to God? Because money is a test from God. Why? Because money dictates and determines where your priorities are at. In fact, the Bible puts it this way in Matthew chapter 6, verse 21. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. I know what's important to you by looking at your bank statement. Some of you, it's all about Amazon. Don't raise your hand. Some of you, it's all about Gymshark. <laughs> some of you it's Macy's I don't even know does Macy's still exist <laughs> Hollister Abercrunchie some of you it's every restaurant in town hallelujah taco Tuesday taco Monday taco Wednesday <laughs> right some of you at Starbucks <laughs> We can tell what's important to you. Some of you, it's Cabela's. Some of you, Bass Pro Fishing. Some of you, it's Yeti. Whatever it is. Why? Because the way you spend money shows us what matters and what's important to you. Now, can you imagine with God that we stand here and we lift our hands and say, God, pour it out. God, I'll follow you. I surrender it all to you. But our checkbooks do not reflect what's coming out of our lips. See, how you handle money reveals volumes about your priorities and your loyalties. And how you handle money directly dictates many of the blessings you will or you will not experience in your life. And so when we look at the principle of the first, why does God want to be first or expect to be first? Because what we see in scripture, there is a pattern. The pattern is the, the first will always redeem the rest. We see that. Let's look at the story of Abel and Cain and Abel, Genesis chapter 4, 3, and 5. So it says, So it came about the course of time that Cain brought an offering to the Lord and the fruit of the ground. Abel, on his part, also brought of the firstlings of his flock and of their fat portions, and the Lord had regard for Abel and for his offering, but for Cain and for his offering, he had no regard. So Cain became very angry. And his countenance fell. Now, I know you're very familiar with this passage of Scripture. This is the first murder recorded in Scripture. The Bible says that Cain and Abel, they were brothers. Cain came and he brought an offering to God. Abel came and brought an offering to God. But the Bible says that when he looked at, God looked at Cain's offering, he saw no favor. He saw no regard. The Bible actually says that God rejected his offering. But he looked at Abel's offering with favor, with regard. Why did he reject Cain's offering, but not Abel's? Or why did he accept Abel's offering 
and not Cain's. Well, it's very clear. Look at what it says. It says, in the course of time, that Cain brought an offering. Another version of scripture, I think it's the NIV, says, in the course of time, Cain brought some. But another version says that Abel brought the first of the first. See, we see the difference. The reason why God saw Cain's offering and rejected it is because he did it in the course of time. In other words, he did it whenever it was convenient for him. He did it whenever he got around to it. And the Bible makes it very clear. He distinguishes that Cain didn't bring the best of the best. That Cain didn't bring the first. He just brought some. And that's what we want to do with God. A lot of times, we think God is just so good and so loving that God is going to accept every little doggy bag that we could ever bring to him because God is good. I've got news for you. God expects to be first in your life. And the same way that he rejected Cain's offering is the same way he will reject ours. But yet he saw Abel's offering. Why? Because it says very clearly that he brought the first of the flock and first of the fat portions. I, I love, I, I think it is the, the, the NIV that says he brought the first of the first. He brought the first of the first. In other words, Abel made it very clear. God, I'm not just going to say that you're first in my life. I'm going to show you through my offering. And see, many times we want to give to God whenever it's convenient. Many times we want to give to God when, whenever it's comfortable for us, when, when we're, we're not dealing with, with, with difficult fin financial hardship, when, when we have more than enough. But God expects to be first in our life at every moment. And the principle of the first fruit is very, very powerful. I have heard it said this way, that any first thing given to God is never lost, and any first thing not given is always lost. In other words, what we give to God, we don't lose because God will always redeem it for us. But what we withhold from God, we will eventually lose. So God expects to be first. So we understand that tithing is, is the first level of giving. That's, that's elementary. That's the obedience. That's where we follow the law. And the Bible says that we bring 10% of everything that we come in. But if you give 10%, but you don't give God the first 10%, then you're still not tithing according to God's principles. What we want to do is we want to pay the rent. We want to pay the car. We want to go out to eat. We want to fill up the car with gas, which are all great things. And then we want to give God a doggy bag of what's left over. And one of the things that we established, and let me tell you very frankly, that one of the reasons why we at Access Church were so blessed is because from the very beginning is that we, don't, we, we, we learned that we don't give when we come to church. We give when we get paid. And you know when, when, when all hell broke loose with the, pan, the, the pandemic and, and people weren't, weren't able to come to church? You know that we were, we were one of the churches that were helping other churches pay their bills. Why? Because we learned this principle. Because it didn't matter if we come to church. See, most Christians only give when they come to church. But you and I know that whether we come to church or not, God is still good. That God still expects us to give. So we don't give when we come. We give when we get paid. So uh, we always look, God, thank you for the 15th and 30th. Amen. Hallelujah. 
And pastors were sweating it. Pastors were calling me, Pastor Brian, how do you guys do it? How are you doing it? People aren't coming and they're not giving. I was like, I'm not worried. I'm not sweating. Because our people know that we don't give when we come to church. We give when we get paid. Because God has to be first. So if I earn $100 and I got to give God, how much of that is God's? Which is the first $10? The first one you spend. So before I pay anything else, I give to God first. I remember one of the times we were living in Mexico, and, and most of you guys know my story, hope, hope, stories. Hope you don't get tired of them because the older I get, the more you'll hear them. <laughs> really? I would expect that from Bibi, but not from you. In that week, the only income that we earned was 50 pesos. Now, at that time, 50 pesos was about $5. And I was sweating it because I knew that I had to give God the first five pesos. And I wouldn't spend that 50 pesos until I gave God his first five because I learned this principle years ago. Let me tell you, that's the only way we were able to make it through that season of Mexico where God was building and testing our faith. And I was sweating. I said, God, I don't know. And I remember the devil was like, does it really matter? Does it really matter? It's just five pesos. I'm sure God would understand. When the devil was fighting me, I realized he's trying to keep me from my blessing. When the devil's saying it's not a big deal, that means it's probably a big deal. Because understand, it's not about the quantity of money. It's not about how much. It's about the principle of living a God-first life. And let me tell you, when you give God first, you unlock a level of blessing that you've never experienced before. Why? Because the first redeems the rest. We see this pattern in Scripture. You guys, many of you all know the story of Jericho. How many of y'all know, know the story of Jericho? When the Israelites came out of Egypt, they were in the desert. They got to Jericho. This was big wall, city walls. And a lot of people think that Jericho was the land of promise. But there were eight major cities in the land of Canaan that were part of the promised land. But Jericho was just the first. And what did God tell Joshua? Joshua said, when you go into Jericho, I want you to destroy. I want you to give everything back to me. Do not take the spoils. Do not take anything. It belongs to me. Why? Because he was establishing the principle that the first will redeem the rest. And then he said, after that, all of the eight cities you can have for yourself, but the first belongs to me. And that's what God is telling us. When we tithe and we give that first 10% to God before we spend anything else, we are calling a blessing upon the 90% that is left. And when you have God's favor and blessing on the 90%, let me tell you, it'll always add up to more than the full 100% that you think you have. Because the first redeems the breast. And we see that with Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ was the first fruits. He was the first. And because he was sacrificed first, he redeemed the rest. So we see that whatever you bless 
whatever you give to God, God always blesses the rest. And, and in fact, we see this principle that Paul talks about in Romans chapter 11, verse 16. It says, if the first portion of the dough offered is holy, then the whole batch is holy. And if the root is holy, so too are the branches. So when you give God that first 10% and you take that first 10% on the 15th, on the 30th, or every Friday when you get paid, you say, God, before I spend anything else, I'm going to show you that I just don't sing about it, that I just don't talk about it. God, that I put you first and you give that first part. The Bible says that everything that you have left over is blessed. Why does God ask for 10%? Or why does God require, let me ask, why does God require 10%? Just because he's like, man, what number is good? Let me see, six, seven, ten, it's a nice even number. Do you think that's what God, he just put on a number out of his hat? Like, mm, yeah, let's just make it ten. That way I don't have to do so much math, you know? Worry about fractions and decimal points and all that stuff that belongs in the pit of hell. Sorry, math teachers. I know we have a few here. We love y'all. Do you know why God chose 10? Is because in every numerical system, you get to 10 and then you start over. Right? Every, every numerical system, you get to 10 and you start over. So 10 always represents the whole. And God is so good. That God could always expect you to say, you know what? Everything you have, I gave it to you, so just give it all back to me. It's all mine anyway. But God is so good that he says, I don't need you to give it all to me. Just give me the 10, and I see the 10, and I see the whole. God says, if you give me 10%, I'll bless you like you brought all of it to me. But all I'm asking you for you is to give me 10. I don't need you to give it all. Just give me the 10 because the 10 represents the whole. So it's what we do first. That's what Paul is saying. So if the first part is blessed, then the rest is blessed. If God blesses that 10%, that first 10% you give, the 90% that you stay with is also blessed. So if we give God the first, then he redeems or he'll bless the rest. So if we don't tithe the first of the first and we want to give offering, there will be no fruit because the seed is now cursed. And that's why many of us us are not experiencing God's blessing to the fullest in our life because one we're not walking in obedience and two we're not putting God first I'm gonna close with this that's Caleb's cue to quit eating tacos or a protein shake I asked Caleb the other day when you hug me do you feel like you're hugging yourself because I've been going to the gym why are you guys laughing you think he would be like, yeah, pastor, I do. You know, he says, not yet. <laughs> yeah, whatever. So at the beginning of this sermon series, I gave you a picture of what the blessing looks like. Remember we talked about Psalm 1, how David says that the blessed man is like a tree that is planted by living water, by running water that it always has leaves on the tree, that it always produces fruit in its season. But David also gives us another picture found in Psalm 52 of how the blessing looks. And look at what it says. This is what David writes. He says, But I am like an olive tree, thriving in the house of God. 
I will always trust in God's unfailing love. David is writing this. And those of you that were here on Thursday, you got the, you got the, sneak, pre, the sneak peek preview. That's why y'all should come on Thursday. He says, but I am like an olive tree thriving in the house of God. And I remember years ago, I read that. And I, and I thought, why would David compare himself to an olive tree that is thriving in the house of God? So I began to dig into this psalm. And, and I, I read this psalm and I began to realize that this psalm was written by David during the time that he was fleeing for his life from Saul. Remember, King Saul was so angry and so jealous that he was throwing spears at him. He put a bounty on his head. He was after him. He wanted to kill him and destroy him. Now, I don't know about you, but those words don't sound like someone that is being persecuted. Those words don't sound like someone that is fleeing for their life. Like, I, I, let me tell you this. If I'm fleeing for my life and I'm being persecuted, I'm not going to be like, I'm an olive tree flourishing. No, I, you know, I probably have some bad words in there somewhere. Like Christian cuss words, like son of a motherless goat. That's how we Christians cuss. But yet in the midst of this problem, and it gets, it gets even worse. David writes this psalm when he's fleeing for his life. He, he's, he's, he, they're literally trying to kill him. And he just got sold out by Doeg, one of his closest friends and confidence. He just got backstabbed by his bro. And David says, but I'm like an olive tree. And when you read this psalm, he begins to contrast the difference between the wicked and the just. And he was saying, sometimes it may seem like the wicked are prospering and, are, and, and the just are suffering. Doesn't it feel like it sometimes? You look around and those that don't go to church, those that aren't serving God, and you're wondering, God, what's going on? Why am I, if I'm trying to do things right, if I'm trying to honor you, why do I have so much adversity? Why do I have so many trials? And here David is fleeing for his life. He's been anointed and appointed to be the next king of Israel. He has a calling and a purpose on his life. And he's literally being hunted down like an animal. And he just got sold out by his friend and he's writing this thing he's like God why does it seem like we the just are suffering and the wicked are prospering but then David recognizes that it's just a matter of time that things are going to turn around and that's what I'm here to tell you it doesn't matter what you're going through right now it may seem like everyone else around you is prospering it may seem like everyone else is doing good and you who are trying to honor God that things are going down the tubes God sent me here tonight to tell you that it's just a matter of time and he's going to turn it all around. And he goes on to say that even those that have turned against you, that talked about you, that lied about you, that falsely accused you, those that said you would never make it, will get what's coming to them. Why? Because God cannot be mocked. He is not a man to lie, nor the son of man that he should repent. What God said he will do for you, and he's going to do it. And even if it seems you have already been counted out, even if it seems there's no way out, let me tell you that God is going to... To make a way and Romans 8 says it that he will work it out for your God so why could David pen that 
I am like an olive tree planted and flourishing in the house of the Lord. Because David recognizes that even in the midst of persecution, hardship, trial, and suffering, that he is still prospering. And he realizes, wait a minute. I'm like an olive tree. And so I got the hermeneutical context of the psalm, but I still want to understand what does David mean when he says that he's like an olive tree. Why did he say like I'm an oak tree or like a sequoia or like a redwood? But he specifically says, I am like an olive tree. And and so I did what every studious person would do. I googled, what is an olive tree? That's what we do nowadays. Before we'd go to the library and, you know, get the Encyclopedia Britannica. But now we don't have to do that. We just Google it. And I found a few peculiarities of the olive tree. And then when I understood this, I realized why David said that even in the midst of persecution, I'm like an olive tree that's planted in the house of God. The first thing I found out about an olive tree, that an olive tree is plague resistant. It's disease resistant. You know, I was able to see with my own eyes an olive tree that is, well, back then, 1995, I was like 12 years old. Audrey, you're going to come back and visit and you're going to start like that? I saw an olive tree that was over 800 years old. And it was still producing fruit. And when I said, it's like, so an olive tree by nature is disease and plague resistant. It has this internal oil that every time that bugs and bichos, bichos is a Greek word, that want to come and eat and destroy the tree, it cannot latch on. Because this oil that it has causes the bugs to fall. And I realized that David, in the midst of this persecution, he realized something. Man, I'm like an olive tree. Because even the king himself is trying to kill me. He's throwing spears at me. They're lying about me. They're they're talking about me. They're falsely accusing me. And guess what? None of their attacks are sticking. And that's what happens when you and I, we walk with a mantle of blessing. It doesn't matter what they try to say about you. It doesn't matter what they try to do to you. Their attacks are not going to stick. Number two, the olive tree is fire resistant. That means an olive tree can go through a fire and it can burn and it's still going to stand. A fire oftentimes talks about the storms and the pressures of life. In fact, tradition has it. Remember when Moses was out in the field and he saw a burning bush? An olive tree is more bush-like than it is tree-like. And the Bible says that he saw this bush that was consumed with fire, it was was burning with fire, but it was not being consumed. Tradition has it that he was seeing an olive tree burn, and that's what causes amazement. Why? Because olive trees are fire resistant. I remember a few years ago I preached that, and we had a very, very, very loving brother that went and fact checked me. Booyah. He's like, You're right, Pastor. Of course. I'm not going to say anything before I figure, like, I know what I'm right. I'm not going to say it. (laughs) 
That means that you as an olive tree, yes, the, Jesus says it this way, in this life there will be much affliction, but take courage because I have overcome the world. Yes, fire and tests are going to come. Yes, struggles are going to come. But those fire is not going to touch you. It's not going to burn you. You are resistant. Remind the devil, uh-uh, not today, devil. I'm an olive tree. Number three. Number three. Number three. You like that? Olive trees are drought resistant. What does that mean? That an olive tree doesn't need much to prosper. In fact, one of the pictures I saw of an olive tree, it was on the side of a cliff, a rocky cliff with hardly any soil. And yet, it was full. It was luscious and producing fruit. And that's why David said, uh-huh, I'm like an olive tree. Plant me wherever you want. You can't stop me, but I'm going to produce the fruit. I'm going to flourish. I'm going to prosper. See, there are other trees where that can, that, that can be planted, where an olive tree is planted, and those trees will not take root. Those trees are not going to flourish. Those trees are not going to prosper. But you put an olive tree in that same place where other trees won't flourish or prosper. The Bible says that that's the blessing of God that's like on your life. Wherever God plants you, it may not look like much. It may Nobody else may not want that position. But if God planted you there, it's because you are going to prosper because why your prosperity doesn't determine it's not determined by anything or anyone else God knows where he prospers number four an olive tree regenerates itself, re regenerates itself from its root system you know what that means it'll find a way an olive tree will find a way if you cut off the root it'll just grow another root you cut it off at one point, it'll just grow another one. It always regenerates itself from its root system. So it will, it is resilient. It will always find a way to keep going. It will always find a way to keep prospering. It will always find a way to keep pushing forward. That's what David said. And that same blessing that David has as an olive tree. I'm here to tell you that you are an olive tree. It doesn't matter where they plant you. It doesn't matter where they put you. You're always going to prosper. They might cut you off at one point, but it's okay if they cut you off there because you're just going to grow another root. And they cut you off there, you're just going to grow another root. And they cut you off there, you're just going to go another root. You're always going to find a way. And they're going to wonder why. How is it? I've tried everything I can to stop you. I've tried everything I can to cut you off. I tried kill, stealing your, not killing your clients, but stealing your clients. Well, maybe. I've tried lying about your company. I've tried lying about your ministry. I've tried lying and you just keep prospering. It's because you're messing with an olive tree. There's nothing that you can do. I will always find a way. Remember I say this. I'm going to really close with this. So Matt, get ready. The only way an olive tree will stop producing fruit is if it quits. And that's why I always tell you, the devil cannot defeat you. He can only try and get you to quit. And that's why the, the drought comes, the disease comes, that's why the fire comes. 
the pestilence, the plagues come. Because all he's trying to do is get you so discouraged that you quit. But I'm here to remind you that you are an olive tree. It doesn't matter what life, it doesn't matter what the devil throws at you. You are an olive tree. But remember, he said, I am like an olive tree planted in the house of God. Where was the tree in Psalm 1-3? It was planted, it was connected to the source. Remember, its root system connected to the source. I'm here to tell you that this is your source. As long as you're planted in the house of God, you are connected to the source. And so whenever they throw anything at you, remind them, you don't know who you're messing with. You're messing with an olive tree. I'm not going to quit. I'm not going to give up. You cut me off at one point, I'm just going to grow another root. You cut me off at that point, I'm going to grow another root. And I'm going to continue prospering. Because that is my identity in Christ. And that is the picture of the blessing of the God, of the Lord, over your life. Can you give the Lord a hand clap of praise? Thank you for joining us. And a special thanks to those who have given to support this ministry. Without you, none of this is possible. If you like this podcast, please like and subscribe and share it on social media. Thank you for listening. God bless you.